It is breathtaking to me how God meets us at our very worst, unworthy, being sinful, deserving of his wrath, his just wrath, and yet transforms us into his beloved children and rightful heirs of all. Coming up next, a breathtaking view of the great salvation of God for you on Daily in Christ. Last time we began a new series called More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times. And this is powerful truth. No matter the crisis, whether the current pandemic that we're in right now, as I record this on May 3rd, 2020, or perhaps another crisis in your life, like the diagnosis of cancer, or financial loss, or the loss of a loved one, or relationship breakdown, whatever the crisis may be, I want you to know, and I I want to remind myself as well, God is mighty in it and through it. Now, in this series, we're focused on Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 39, and particularly, and this is where we get the title of this series, uh, Romans 8.37 says this, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, verse 37 is actually an interruption of a hopeless narrative. The verse right before verse 36 says this, As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter." Now, the as it is written part refers to this being a quotation from Psalm 44. And Psalm 44 is full of depressing misery, of being cast off by God, being a reproach to our neighbors, dishonor, and accounted as sheep for the slaughter in verse 22. It's that verse that's quoted over in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And you know, that's the mindset that we can have in our darkest time. We can say, woe is me. I am doomed. I will be ruined. We get so focused on the crisis that we can miss God. But 37 says this, verse 37 in Romans 8, yet In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, hold the presses, stop everything. We have an important update, and it's really good news. It says this, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we got into that in some degree in the first episode of this series, and we'll be dealing with that more toward the end of the series when we get to verse 37. But our problem is this. Someone might say, well, I sure don't feel like more than a conqueror. That's the problem. We're relying on our feelings instead of the truth of God's word. And it doesn't help that we live in a very noisy, attention-grabbing world. In fact, that's what's going on right now during this coronavirus COVID-19 situation. Let me ask you, How many times have you heard God mentioned in the news media reporting about this crisis? I mean in a positive way. And I don't mean news reports about religious gatherings, but actually bringing God himself into the discussion, into the equation. Well, I don't care what news network it is. The answer to that is not at all. Nada. They don't bring God in at all. So let me see if I get this right. We're in a crisis, and the biggest factor in the reality of the equation is this. They don't mention God once. They don't figure him at all into the equation, which tells me that the news media are totally out of touch with reality. How in the world can they properly assess our future if they throw God out of the consideration? That's why, and this is going to sound radical, turn them off, throw them out. 
You know, just the other day I was watching a video that was recorded a number of years ago with evangelist Lester Sumrall, and he was relating back to the time when he was a young man back in 1939. He was uh, had been in England for two years, and he had the great opportunity of visiting uh, Smith Wigglesworth, one of England's, in fact, one of the world's most powerful evangelists. And Lester Summerall said this about his first meeting with Smith Wigglesworth, and I'm quoting, When Wigglesworth opened the door, I said, Here I am, Brother Wigglesworth. He did not respond. He just glared at me and said, Hoots under your arm. That meant in his British accent, What is under your arm? I said, I have an umbrella under this one and the morning paper under this one. He said, Throw it away. You can't come in here with it. I don't permit those lies into my house. Hitler and Mussolini will soon be in hell where they belong. In my house, there's only truth, and that paper is full of lies, so leave it outside. Hastily thrusting the paper into the bushes beside the door, I said, Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. That's true. That really happened. Uh, That's what Lester Summerall uh, had uh, shared. You know, if your news media doesn't bring God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, into the equation, then that, that particular news outlet is full of lies. Take Smith Wigglesworth's advice and throw it out. Hey, I need to take this advice as well, and, and I am. You know, instead, let's spend much more time, whether good times or bad times or times of crisis, let's spend much more time reading God's word, the Bible, instead of man's out-of-touch words of conjecture, predictions, opinions, speculations, prognostications, oh, ad nauseum. They're lies. They don't know what they are talking about. Ditto that for all of the talking heads that come onto their programs. Dear friend, listen to me. If God were not in the equation of your crisis, then that would be awful. But God is. He is right now in the good times and in the bad. He is with us. And that reality, dear friend, makes all the difference in the world. And that is the best good news ever. Getting back to the focus of our series, More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times, sadly, few Christians really know personally the reality that they are indeed, as the Bible says, as God says, more than conquerors through Christ. This series will help you understand this through the Bible, God's Holy Word, and the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. These glorious verses that we find not only in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, but really the entire chapter of Romans 8 is amazing. Those 39 verses over there in Romans 8 have a critical context. You know, someone wisely said it text without context is pretext. So let's get these glorious verses in Romans 8, 15 to 39 in context first, before we continue on actually focusing on those verses and studying them. Now, what is the context of Romans 8, 15 to 39? Well, the context is all of the chapters, Romans 8, Romans 2, Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, through the first 14 verses. That's the context of Romans 8, 15 to 39. And so today, and then in our next episode, we're going to be setting the context in place, which is critical because knowing the context helps us understand all the more the power and the reality of Romans 8, 15 to 39. So let's go back to Romans chapter 1. And before we do, let's take a moment and pray And I just said a moment ago that we understand through the Bible, God's holy word, and through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the one who breathed the scripture into being as God's word in the first place. And it takes that same spirit to see, 
spiritually. You know, if you're in a dark room with no lights turned on, you won't be able to see what's in that room until you turn on a light and then you can see. That's what the Holy Spirit does as we approach God's Word. Let's do that right now. Father, thank you for, oh, the fact that we are indeed more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Father, I have to say that even though I have studied this a lot and I've even memorized Romans chapter 8, Father, there is so much more for me to understand through your word and through the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray for us that you would help us to understand the powerful gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that this gospel is indeed the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Father, I pray that we would understand in a deeper, more radical way the truth that it is this gospel that brings salvation, not just to get into the Christian life, thank God for that, but to live this Christian life in these very perilous and wicked times. Holy Spirit, bring your illumination. Reveal God in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, in my prayer, started to already go into the first part of this, which is in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Now, most Christians are familiar with verse 16, and most are unfamiliar with verse 17. I would argue verse 17 is even more important than verse 16, but here's 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Hey, how about some good news for a change? We've been hearing all this terrible bad news going on during this uh, coronavirus pandemic crisis. You know, the word gospel means good news. And it's not just any old good news, but spectacularly good news. One minister describes it, uh, the good news of the gospel uh, as the almost too good to be true news. Oh, but it is true, because God is indeed that good. That's the gospel. Now, here's that second verse, verse 17, that I said that is so important that most Christians don't know. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There you have Romans verses one 16 to 17. Now, the key thing there in verse 17 is this, for in this incredibly, spectacularly, almost too good to be true good news of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. You know, God is infinite. I'm going to tell you, friend, that it is virtually impossible for someone like you and I that's so small and finite to have any idea of anything of, that's the infinite. In fact, God is beyond infinity. He's eternal. Now, but God is good. And God is a revealing and a speaking God. And as we prayed about in our prayer, we prayed for that revelation. Well, here in Romans 1.17, it says, For in this gospel, the righteousness of of God is revealed. The idea of reveal in the Bible is something that has been heretofore not seen or understood, which God has made known. What has been made known in the gospel? The righteousness of God, as opposed to your righteousness, which we'll talk about later, and my righteousness, which is stinky and vile and filthy. And well, like I said, we'll get into that a little bit later. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness that is part and parcel of who he is, being the good, holy, and righteous God that he is. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Next time we'll get into Romans chapter 4 that gets into this whole business of the just shall live by faith and uh, saving faith, and, and the, the type of faith that is brought up in uh, Romans one seventeen. Again, that's when we go into chapter 4 of Romans next time. Let's continue on. 
Romans 1, 18 to Romans 3, verse 20, I have to say is pretty dark. It's really dark. You see, sometimes good news follows after some really bad news. For example, a patient hears the terrible news that they've got cancer. And then they hear the spectacular news that there is a cure for their cancer and the treatment works every time. But if you but you have to take the treatment to be rid of the cancer. That's the way the gospel news is. The bad news, well let's get into what the serious situation is. You know, many don't understand how seriously bad is the true human condition as clearly laid out in the Bible. Look, this is not my opinion of the situation. This is God's assessment of the patient. Over and over and over and over again, the people of God, those who should have known better, sinned against God, betrayed him, and turned their backs on him. Despite the fact that God was so good to them. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through the rest of Romans 1, through Romans 2, into Romans 3, through verse 20, we see how terribly bad man's sinful condition really is. Romans 1.18 says this, and I can't think of a darker verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed again, there's a revelation in 117, Romans 117, which is the righteousness of God, and there's another revelation in 118 here, the wrath of God. We're not talking about someone having a temper tantrum here. We're talking about a holy and righteous and perfectly good God whose entire created order was seriously and destructively disrupted by sin coming in. And that wrath is the just wrath of God. Why? Because of all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness here, the Greek text underlying the Bible text in English, ungodly means no reverence, literally no reverence. And this ranges from the fire-breathing atheist on one end of the spectrum all the way on the other end of the perspective where a person might say, well, I don't know, maybe God exists, maybe he doesn't. Uh, Pass the beer. (laughs) That's ungodliness. It's taking God out of the equation. It's the not honoring him as God. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that unrighteousness, you know, righteousness, as far as God is concerned, has a vertical component between God and man and a horizontal component that is righteousness between each other. This is the case of the unrighteousness of men, just the opposite of righteousness, who, listen, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, People may say, yeah, but how do we know that God even exists? Well, it continues in Romans 1, 19 to 20, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, God fashioned the creation to reveal his invisible attributes. You know, you look at DNA. A virus is actually DNA or RNA in, in, in a capsule is what it is. So we've been hearing a lot about this. That's what all the researchers are trying to understand to come up with both a cure and also a vaccine. DNA is extremely complicated. And the DNA molecule is in every single one of the trillions of cell, cells in your body. 
In fact, that uh, genome sequence of the DNA is so complicated that it took years and years and years of processing and examination by the world's most powerful computers to finally understand it. And yet that is in every cell. That's incredible. Obviously, there's a creator. How could there be a creation without a creator? So God makes himself obvious, manifests, shows who he is, his invisible attributes. They're clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. We can see his eternal power and Godhead. And as the result, and that, by the way, we talked about the DNA and the micro level. What about the macro level, the incredible glory of the heavens? The psalmist says, um, the heavens declare the glory of God. Night after night, they pour forth speech. So God is, God has manifested and made himself clearly known through the creation. But there's a problem with man. And by man, I mean the whole human race. Idolatry, which is exchanging an image of the creature instead of honoring and glorifying and giving thanks to the creator. The next verses say this, Romans 1, 21 to 23. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You know, the Bible is replete with many examples of sinful man refusing to glorify God as God. Instead, what are they worshiping? They're worshiping and serving an image. And you know what an image is? Like a picture or, or a video or, or a statue. It's a representation of something. It is even the thing. You know, if, I, if you see a picture of me, say, in Facebook, that's not me. That's an image of me. Me would be me and you meeting in person, and then you see the real me, not an image of me. And yet, in this glory exchange, instead of worshiping God and honoring God as God, they have exchanged the glory of God for an image. Something that isn't even real, but a figment of our imagination. You know, God is so good. And yet sinful man refuses to honor him as God or even give him thanks Instead, they worship an image of their own making. That's idolatry. That's at the core and the essence of what's wrong with the human race. And here's the result. Romans 1, 24 to 26. Therefore, God also gave them up, gave them over to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the, create, the, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Boy, I tell you what, that's chilling. God is handing people over to be consumed by the foolishness of this idolatry to vile passions. And then we read in Romans 1, 29 to 32, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Boy, sounds like the headlines in the news. Listen to this, verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You see, dear friend, the situation is much, much worse than cancer. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, dead in trespasses and sins. And the Bible clearly teaches that this condition is universal. It's throughout the entire human race, whether you are religious or not. 
And finally, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, this is like the, the final case of a righteous God against unrighteous man. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3, verses 10 through 18. Hmm. And here's the final verdict, Romans three nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, listen, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. My dear friend, there are no exceptions. This includes you and me. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says this, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. God is vindicated in his wrath and judgment against idolatrous, sinful, ungrateful, evil man. That is why, as it says in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness the wrath of God. And you are not spared from this, dear friend, no matter how good you think you are. Romans 3.20 says this, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Look, God didn't bring his law to make you righteous. Quite the opposite. God's law exposes and proves that you are a sinner who has committed high treason against God to serve yourself instead of God, which ultimately is serving the devil instead of God. Now, dear friends, if that were the end of the story, it would be really awful for me and you. But here's the good news. There is a cure God has intervened by his great love. And that is the next part of Romans. Now, remember, dear friends, what we're doing here. We're trying to get the context of our primary text for this series, which is called More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times. The series will be focused primarily on Romans 15 to 39. We're trying to get the context, which is the chapters before it. This is so important. Now the good news, Romans 3, 21 to 28. Let's just walk through this one part at a time. Romans 3, 21 says this, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, you see, it says, but now the Bible declares that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, right now. And then it speaks of the righteousness of God. If that sounds familiar, it should be. It's going full circle back to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. You see, this is... God's righteousness, not your righteousness. And it's apart from the law. This means it's not based on your righteous deeds, your righteousness, but on God's righteousness. Moving on to Romans 3.22, the first part, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. This righteousness of God is not something you earn because you've behaved well enough. It is a gift, as it says in Romans 5.17. And that gift of righteousness is received through faith 
in another person altogether, not you and how good you are or how bad, but in the, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in him to all and on all who believe. Romans 3, 22b through 23, for there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see that? All have sinned. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. There's no exception for you, friend. And it isn't just a matter of this sin or that sin. Oh no, it's much, 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 much more serious than that. It says, and fall short of the glory of of God. This winds back to the epicenter of sin, which we looked at a little earlier here today. In Romans 1, to 23, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed or exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. When the Bible speaks of the glory of God, it It refers to those outstanding characteristics that belong to God alone. Not man, nor anything else in all of creation. The glory of God is the glory which belongs to him as God. An incredibly fallen man has exchanged out God himself, who is glorious, for the glory of an image the glory of the creature, the glory of man. And the creature, the image, the man, falls infinitely short of God and who he is. It's a lot like the case of an Olympic broad jump uh, winner, okay? And he goes to the shores of the Pacific Ocean at Los Angeles, and he goes back and he runs as hard as he can and jumps hoping to get all the way from Los Angeles to Tokyo. Well, he might have an impressive broad jump as far as that's concerned, but boy, it's going to fail horrifically. He won't come anywhere close to Tokyo. And that's the, the difference. You and I have no glory at all that comes close to God. Have All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, of course, dear friend, God is God and you are not. In Romans 3.24, it says this, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is being justified freely. It's given as a gift. The same good and righteous standing. That's what what being justified means. It it means being given the exact same good and righteous standing that Jesus has before his Father God. Some people have said that justification is just as if you never sinned. That falls way short of the reality justification. It is that and so much more. It is the same standing before God that Jesus has which is the standing of a son, of a rightful heir, the standing of someone who is righteous. And this is given as a gift, this righteousness, this justification, freely to you and to me. It's no cost to us, but infinitely costly to God. What did it cost him, his son and his dear life? And then it says here, being justified freely by his grace. God's grace, I like to say, is the gift of God in giving himself to us, in totally loving us, totally accepting us, and totally blessing us. Not because we are so good and earned it, but because God is that good and gives his son for us. That's the grace of God. It is spectacular. And we are justified freely by that incredible grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption has this idea of a price or a ransom that's paid to buy back something that belongs to someone. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did through his blood. He bought us back to God. 
away from sin, self, and Satan to serve and love the, and enjoy the love of the ever-living God. Romans 3.25 next says this, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. The Bible word there is propitiation, and that literally means an offering that satisfies wrath. Now we have the solution to the wrath of God that is just against every one of us. God's wrath is because of his just case against the idolatry, sin, and high treason of the entire human race. And that is satisfied by his blood. By You see, God doesn't forgive or justify simply by sweeping our sins under the carpet. No. We are justified by the righteousness of Jesus and his precious blood shed for us. That's what it means. Propitiation by his blood through faith. It's received, not through your works, through your good deeds, but through faith in Jesus and what he has done for us to demonstrate his righteousness, God's righteousness, not our righteousness. Again, Romans 1.17, for in the incredible good news of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now listen to this. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh, this is so good. First, it says to demonstrate. You know, God is not only righteous, but he does righteous. It's not talk, it's walk. And that justification of us is a demonstration of the righteousness of God. It's his righteousness, not your righteousness, but God's righteousness alone. It goes on to say that he might be just. Now this, that Jesus did, which is the Father's plan, is indeed the just thing to do, the right thing to do. You see, God himself claims the satisfies the claims of justice against us because of our idolatry, sin, and treason. He does that through the righteousness and righteous action of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is just in doing this. You know, if Jesus did not go through everything that righteousness and justice demanded for us, then for God to forgive you or me, would make him to be the biggest lawbreaker in the whole universe. And God is not a lawbreaker. God is holy and righteous and good. And so he fulfills righteousness for us on our behalf through the righteousness and righteous action of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? He lived a perfectly holy life. When he walked this earth as a man, Jesus is full humanity and full deity, full God. And as a man, he walked perfectly righteous and obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, as it says in Philippians 2, death on the cross. And he took it all at the cross, and he shed his precious blood, and he died. He took those stripes on his back for our healing. And he died. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. Jesus didn't sin. I sinned. You sinned. We deserve the death, not him. But he died in our place for us. Jesus satisfied the justice of God through his humanity so that the justice of God would not have to fall upon us. Because if the justice of God were to have fallen upon us, that would not go well with us. And then it says in the rest of 26, 
and that the Jesus is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As I said, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is perfectly righteous, perfectly just. And not only that, but he is my justifier, your justifier. He is the one through what he has done in righteousness and settled on my behalf. That is good enough to make me just and you just, to give me a good standing with God. In fact, to give you as well such a good standing with God. It's the exact same standing as the Lord Jesus has with his Father. God the Father did this in love. And it says, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let's put this all together. God demonstrates his own righteousness, not your righteousness, his righteousness. And he does this at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's talk about this important idea and the connection to you and me. The justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Here's the different parts. First, the Lord Jesus is just. Second, he, the Lord Jesus, is our justifier. Of third, all of those in Christ are justified. They're given the same righteous standing before God that Jesus has through simple faith in the Lord Jesus. What is that? Well, it's forsaking or giving up your own righteousness so-called. You know what? Let's be honest. Do you know what your righteousness and my righteousness looks like to an infinitely holy God? It is disgusting. Isaiah the prophet said, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. That's in Isaiah 64, 6. Job, the man pointed out by God as the most righteous man on earth, said this, Job 40, verse 4, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. And then in verse 16, he says this, How much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. Wow. Who is, how much less is man who is abominable and filthy, drinking iniquity like waters. King David, whom God called his friend, said this in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. The Apostle Paul said, when speaking of his own so-called righteousness, said this in Philippians 3, 8, Doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Listen, and those all things he's referring to are all of his own righteous deeds. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. My dear friend, don't you dare go to holy God with your filthy, abominable, vile, so-called righteousness. Don't you dare. It is an insult to holy God. Why? Because you are spurning the righteousness of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you dare to stand there and say that your so-called righteousness is better? That is why it says... Dear friend, I know I'm being severe, but this is serious. That's why it says in Romans 3, 27 to 28, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, listen, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You might be asking, what shall I do then? Listen very carefully to this powerful word in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 6. But the righteousness of faith, not your righteousness, the righteousness of faith speaks 
in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now listen to this very carefully. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever, oh, I love that word, whoever, in the Bible, because it includes little old me and dear friend, it includes you. Whoever believes on him, the Lord Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Dear friend, this is no coincidence that you're hearing my words today. You're hearing it in the midst of a crisis. And you're hearing in the midst of your crisis, in the midst of your darkest hour, the greatest news of all. Could it be that the righteousness of God is not something that God is expecting of me, but is a gift from God? Yes, it's true. That's what the gospel says. Could it be that this righteousness is as simple as believing and receiving by faith what Jesus did? Yes, that's what the Bible says. My dear friend, this is what I did as a college student almost 40 years ago. I got down on my knees alone on the hard floor. I realized how sinful I was, that even my own righteousness was filthy before God because it was so intertwined in sinfulness and selfishness. And at that moment, I believed that God sent his dear son, Jesus, to die for me and make all right for me. And you know what I did? I cried out and said, Lord Jesus, save me. And he did. Hallelujah. I have no regrets. It's been the most wonderful thing, being a brand new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, dear friend, can do that right now, right where you are. Just like me, I was in a dorm room floor all by myself. You don't need to be in a church building. God wants to meet you right now through his precious son, the Lord Jesus. Dear friend, let me help you by expressing together a prayer. And if you believe what I've been sharing with you, not believe about but believe enough as if you're betting your whole life upon it, that kind of belief. Then I'd like you to pray along with me as, as I pray this important prayer. Dear Father, it is not a prayer that saves us, but a Savior who saves us. Thank you for your precious Son, Jesus, dying for me. Lord, I realize I am unworthy and unrighteous. I am sinful and lost, dead in my trespasses and sins. Thank you, Lord, for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me personally, living righteously, dying perfectly for me. And Father, I thank you that all that he did for me is good enough for you. Oh, dear Father, save me. I call upon the name of the Lord Jesus right now. Save me now. Thank you, Father. I receive it as a gift in Jesus' name. 
My dear friend, if you have prayed that from your heart, I want to hear from you. Stop by our website at dailyinchrist.org. And you'll see a contact link up in the menu bar at the top. You can reach me through that. I want to encourage you to reach out to a Bible-believing Christian, someone you know God has put in your life who worships Jesus as he is, the Lord and Savior, and who believes the Bible is what it is, the infallible and errant Word of God. And I want to encourage you to go to a Bible-believing church. Now, there's a lot of churches that are out there. Some of them do not believe in the Bible. Don't go to those. Go to the one or the ones that truly preach the Bible. And, uh, dear friend, I'm so happy for you. I'm so honored for this opportunity to share the best news of all, the gospel. Listening friend, if this podcast, what has been shared today in the series is of value for you, please tell someone else about it because I know it's going to be a blessing for someone else. And I think you're the best way to connect to them. Let them know about the podcast and how to get it. They can find out more about our ministry, about this podcast. We have all 90 of our podcasts uh, you can download and listen to for free at our website. That is at dailyinchrist.org. That's dailyinchrist.org. Well, next time on the Daily in Christ podcast, we'll wrap up our look at Romans 8, 15 to 39 in context as we continue our series, More Than Conquerors, in the Darkest of Times, on the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Always remember what the Lord says in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him.